you are welcome to turn to Psalm 84, which we just sang. You can turn there in your pew Bibles. They should be around page 493. It is said the context of this psalm, the writer is not on his way to Jerusalem. He's not on his way to Jerusalem, but he desperately desires to. Because to be in Jerusalem is where the house of God is, the presence of God is, and that's where he wants to be. It's certainly very unclear as to what is preventing him from going. We know from the Old Testament there are many things that would prevent someone from coming to Jerusalem, from entering the courts of the Lord. Uncleanness be in the wrong time. But either way, what is very clear is that the child of God in this psalm is not in God's house, but he cannot wait to be there. So this is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at the altars, at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God and my king. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they grow through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and grace. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Father, as we come now to hear from you, over and over and over again this text, we heard blessed, blessed, blessed. Lord, help us to hear why. This is the word that the psalmist goes to constantly, even though he is far from your presence, far from Jerusalem, yet He is saying, blessed. Be with us now during this time. 
Jesus' name, amen. If you go and do a quick search on any social media platform, and those classic hashtags that pull up myriads of results, and you were to plug into Google hashtag blessed, you could probably imagine some of the things that would come out. People in these amazing locations with beautiful backdrops, surrounded by friends and family, seemingly this pristine picture of success in every aspect of the word. Hashtag blessed, they would say. And when they say that, there's many things that they mean by that. Not just what I just mentioned, but also the fact that there's this total freedom that this person can do whatever they want, go wherever they want, be whoever they want to be. This is what it means to be blessed in the eyes of the world in which we live. All of those pictures on Instagram and Facebook, they're meant to call attention and say, look at me. And look at how amazing my life is. But in the Hebrew, it only has two words for blessed. One of them refers to God blessing his people directly. And the other one refers to the believer reminding other believers and speaking to them about the blessings that they have in Christ and that they need to remember. And that second word, the blessing and speaking of the blessing to one another, is the word, the Hebrew word that is used here. It is the only time that it is used by the writers of this particular psalm. So that leads us to the conclusion that the charge of this text to you and to me today is to remember, believer, you are richly blessed. Remember, believer, you are richly blessed. And here we see in this psalm three ways that we can see how we as believers are, in fact, richly blessed. And it's my hope by the end of this psalm that you would be deeply encouraged as you contemplate the blessings that you have been given and the blessings that this psalm talks about that are directly applicable to you. So let's look at the first one here. The Lord is your sanctuary. Verses 1 to 4. If we look at verse 1, look at verse 1 with me, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. This first sentence ends with an exclamation point, doesn't it? And what do exclamation points indicate? They indicate a strong emotion. And that's the idea that's being conveyed here. The psalmist wants you to understand that he is looking at the temple of the Lord and the courts of the Lord. He has this strong inner emotion, this love for the temple of the Lord. He says, lovely, lovely is the courts of the Lord's house. Why? Because it's the place where God meets to be with his people. And the psalmist knows that. And he loves that 
Because he loves God and he loves to be in the Lord's presence. And if you are a child of God, you love the house of God. Yes, it's not perfect. Not everybody in there is pristine. I'm one of those who are not pristine. But you love the courts of the Lord. You love the house of God because you are a child of God and that's where you go to meet in a special way with your King and your Savior. To be and to gather with the people of God in this harmony as we raise our voices to the King of glory. And you love it because if you are a true child of God, true subjects love the courthouses of their King. But verse 2 continues, because it wasn't enough just to say, how lovely, Lord. Verse 2 continues to say, my soul longs. When we think of the innermost parts of our being, this is what the psalmist is trying to conjure up. At the very innermost parts, at the very depths of his being, at the deepest recesses of who he is, he is longing for the Lord. That is his deepest love and desire. It's his vehement desire. But he doesn't stop there. He says, yes, faint. Faint. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. He is so undone, so overwhelmed by the contemplation, by the absence of what he is seeking. And as he thinks about the courts of the Lord, it brings him nothing but pure joy and bliss, that it leaves him fainting and staggering within. And he looks in verse 3. Because remember, he is not in the temple for whatever reason. And he looks in verse 3 and he says, Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. He's seen these birds make their nests in the rafters of God's courthouses. He has, he has envy. He says, Even they, Lord, even they get to go in, come in and come out, but they don't just get to do that, they get to dwell, they get to make their nests there. And that's what he desires to dwell and to be in the presence of the Lord. He envies the fact that the birds have full, unrestricted access to the house of God. Even they have it. Why can't I? My God and my King, this precious declaration of commitment to the king. In verse 4, it said, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. See, to come and to go, now that is refreshing. That is a delight. But to go there and to stay there, to dwell and never have to leave, the psalmist is saying, those are the blessed people who get to go there and never, ever leave. 
Those are the blessed ones. Those birds, man, look at the access that they have. Not even the, the priests who guarded the gates of the Lord's house were able to dwell there. So you, believer, are blessed. Blessed. I want you to hear that. Not as the world thinks about it, but as God defines it here and as this psalm defines it. You are blessed because you live on the other chasm of the sacrificial system. You are blessed because you are able to enter the courthouse of God, not at specific times of the year, not after you have made yourself clean, but you have full, unrestricted access to the house of God, you are unbelievably blessed. Because the Lord was able to rip apart the veil that divided the creature from the creator. When he said, it is finished, that divide was removed. And now the creature and the creator can now come together in a way that in the Old Testament they could only begin to dream about, but that you have the ability to do in a way that they were never able to do. Do you understand that? You are blessed, believer. Richly blessed beyond your wildest imaginations. And you can do these things because Jesus Christ tabernacled among us so that, the, so that you as the birds can dwell in God's eternal house. And not just the one that's here, but the one that's to come. And because this is such a special thing, do not see worship as drudgery. It's very easy to get into that, isn't it? It's just something I check off the box during the week. Maybe it's not a big deal to neglect the gathering of the, the people of God. If you, if you can be here, why would you not? You're only missing out. And if there are priorities in your life that are preventing you from prioritizing the things of God, identify them, remove them, and reprioritize. So remember, believer, you are richly blessed because the Lord is your sanctuary. You have full, unrestricted access to the house of God. And even when you leave here, you are leaving with the Holy Spirit within you. You will never have to be absent from the Lord again. Remember that the Lord is your sanctuary. Remember that secondly as well, the Lord is your strength. Let's look at verses 5 to 8. In verse 5, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. I'm going to level with you. 
life is hard. And when you became a believer, perhaps it got even a bit harder. The world will tell you that you are blessed if you follow your internal compass, wherever it takes you. If you follow the desires of your heart, wherever that leads you. If you just get to discover yourself and your own desires and your own passions. But true joy, true blessedness is not following the internal compass of your heart or doing whatever your fleshly desires long to do, but true blessedness, true joy is following God caring for others, and pursuing God's agenda over your own. And when you do this, you are truly blessed. But life is hard. And even that reality doesn't necessarily maybe hit you the way that it should. Because even in verse 6, and as we go on this journey to, to Zion... It's not going to be an easy one. Verse 6 says, as they go through the valley of Baca. If you look at what that word means, it means weeping. So in essence, what the psalmist is saying here is that there are going to be valleys, whether this is a real place or not, there are going to be valleys in the believer's life that are valleys of weeping, valleys of hardship on the pilgrimage to your eternal home. He's leveling with you. He's speaking to the reality of what many of us have already experienced. Imagine a place, arid, dry, little moisture, the sun beating at you. At night when you pitch your tent, the wolves come out howling to eat and attack you. Isn't that a little bit what life is like at times? Maybe you're even in that valley right now. But look at verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Wow. For the believer, even in those hard places, you are not alone. And God gives the rain to you when you need it. God supplies strength to you when you have none and are breaking within. God meets you in those valleys of life. And not only does God meet you there, but it uses the word they. Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are there with you to help you along the way. You're not alone. And you will never be alone. And in this valley, as verse 7 reads, you will go from strength to strength. The best way to think about this is if you've ever gone on a long journey before. I have, and I don't like driving. I don't like flying. I don't like any of that, especially long ones. I could do really short bursts, but, man, eight hours or more, I can't do that. But you set out, there might be some (laughs) anxiety might be some stress, but as you go along the journey, as you get closer and closer to your destination, it becomes a little easier. 
maybe that last two, three hours, one hour, it changes from maybe the, man, I wish I didn't have to do this, to I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I've almost arrived at my destination. Only three hours left. I can do this. Only two hours left. I can do this. Only 30 minutes left. I can do this. And your desires, your anticipation for the destination, the place where you are going, it grows within you. And this is the idea that is being talked about. Even though you, you go through these valleys, as you go and you go closer and closer to design, you go from strength to strength. It gets easier because you are anticipating the destination, the very face of God, because it says it here, and at the end it says, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Zion, the very face of God is the final destination. That is what you're going to. And if you can wait for those earthly destinations, and that excitement, that strength and increase as you get closer to that final point, how much more would it design the new Jerusalem, the city of God? That is what this is talking about. All that you need is here. And when you fail along the journey, because this does occur, when believers fail, it's because they do not stop at the rest stops along the way. They do not fill up on gas and refreshments. And this is why people putter out. They fail to come to the house of God to hear the desperate living water that they need for their journey. They don't take the time to spend time in prayer and in the word and in fellowship with believers. So instead of going from strength to strength, it's a hard valley and journey. But if you're there, you don't have to stay there. you can use the body of Christ to encourage you. You can look to Jesus to give you strength. And if you say, well, nobody really understands what I'm going through. I'm trying to go from strength to strength. Maybe we can't understand you. But there is one who went through a far worst valley of Baca than you will ever go through. And he understands everything you've gone through and far more. And he says that you could come to me. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will help you along the way. He's just waiting for you to come to him. And you have to come to him. Because even in verse 8, the very first thing it does is he prays to God. In verse 8, it says that. It says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. He goes to the Lord first with his troubles. So believer, you are richly blessed. 
richly blessed beyond your wildest imagination, even if you can't if even if you can't see it right now, I'm reminding you that you are. You are richly blessed because the Lord is your sanctuary. You are richly blessed because the Lord is your strength. And you are richly blessed, finally, because the Lord is your supplier. Here in verse 9, it reads, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. This is a prayer from David, or rather from the people, the nation, about David, that the Lord would bless him. But this is also the New Testament believers' prayer to the Lord. Because the reality is that, yes, we have sin. Yes, we have difficulties. And so when the psalmist is saying, look to our anointed, you can hear the New Testament believer, and you and I can say this, look to God. Don't look at my sin. Don't look at my weaknesses. Don't look at all of the issues that I have in my life. Look to the anointed one. Look to God, our rock and our strength. Behold our shield, O God. This is talking about Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the shield for the the believer to protect them from all harm. And ultimately, look to the anointed on the final day of judgment. God the Father so that instead of seeing my sin, God can look at me with the eyes of love because he sees Christ in me. In verse 10, it makes a profound statement that's so countercultural. It says, it says this, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. One day versus a thousand. He says it's not even comparable. We don't live to a thousand. I'd rather be a day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand with the wicked. So even when the world's most pleasurable, most exciting, most exquisite luxuries are there for the taking, the psalmist is saying that compared to the holy dwelling of God where his presence is, it does not even begin to compare to the excellencies of Christ. One day in a thousand does not even compare. And some of us need this reminder, don't we? Because we struggle with sin. We give in to temptations, and so that picture there isn't always true of us, is it? Yes, I know a day in a, th- a, day in a thousand, yes, but this day, now I'm going I'm to indulge in my own desires here. But the psalmist is making this claim because this should be the heart of the believer and this should be your heart. Can you say with the psalmist here, a day in the courts of the Lord is better than all of the things that the world has to offer for me? Can you truly say that? Even a glimpse is worth more. But it goes on to say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
just a doorkeeper. That, that is enough. If I could just be a doorkeeper, this lowly position, that would be great. I would be satisfied with that compared to what the world has to offer to me. See, the priest's duties were to open and close the doors to bar people from accessing the temple at certain times. Again, I mentioned earlier, they couldn't even live and dwell in the house of God. They kept out the unclean. Because of Jesus Christ, though, you will never be barred from the presence of God again. You are blessed. You are ritually cleansed once and for all. You have met all of the ceremonial laws because Christ has met them for you. You are blessed richly beyond your wildest imaginations. You are morally cleansed. You will never have a time where you will not be able to enter the presence of God because of your sin. You don't have to wait for the appointed feast days. You don't have to be a Levite. You can enter the household of God and have full access to Him. Do you fathom that? Richly, richly, richly blessed. goes on in verse 11. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. A shield to ward off evil. A sun to light the path that we are to walk. He shares and His grace and His favor with you. You are richly blessed. He says in verse 11 at the end, No good thing will he withhold from you. Did you hear that? No good thing will he withhold from you. Ephesians 1 talks about this. It says he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That he has lavished his grace upon grace to you. This idea of this super abundant lavishing, that there will be no end to the grace that he is lavishing out upon his people. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Nothing is he, there is nothing he's going to hold back. It's all there for you for the taking. You are richly blessed, supplied with all of your needs. But you see, the problem, though, is that we forget that, don't we? And we begin to look at what other people have, and we begin to envy. We begin to question God's goodness and say, why don't I have what this person has? We begin to forget the reality of his goodness to us, don't we? 
and he said, for those who walk uprightly. Do you know what this means? It means that you cannot continue to live a life of perpetual sin and disobedience to the Lord and expect him to give you blessings. He says, to those who walk uprightly. You see, the expectation that when you become a child of God is, yes, you will fall. Yes, you will fail at times. But it is your life marked by continuing to live uprightly, that when you do fall down, do you get back up and do you rely on the strength and the power of Christ to keep going on the journey to Zion? If you're doing those things, he is not going to withhold any good thing from you. But if you are living in perpetual sin, deliberately, persistently, without regard to the laws and the commandments of the Lord, do not expect Him to bless you. And verse 12 ends this way. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed. The Lord will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, if you trust him. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is there for the taking. You've been supplied all that you need for the journey. It's there waiting for you. You are securely protected, abundantly supplied. Believer, you are richly, richly blessed. The psalmist says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. How many of us in the church can say that? Are you willing to take a lowly position? Or are you just seeking your own fame and the recognition for your services? It's a temptation, isn't it? Do not labor for recognition in the church. The church is not about you. Service is not about you. You should serve out of the abundance that the Lord has given to you, out of love for what he has done. A doorkeeper in the house of God is still in the house of God. Isn't it? You need to allow God to define what good things are for you. If he thought it was good for you to have it, and he says, I will not withhold any good thing from you, he would have given it to you. And God knows what is good for you far more than what you know is good for you. Trust him. Let him define what that looks like. To the earth, to be blessed means going to cool places, taking selfies with your friends. means living your best life now, looking and drawing attention to yourself. To be blessed means to follow your own heart and the paths and the directions that it leads you. Where the world would say, look at me, this is blessed. God would say, look at Christ. That is blessed. To the world, 
Being blessed is living an unchained life. And if you are not a believer, understand that it's not about following your heart's desires, following the will of your own life. You may look at the Bible and say, I hate all these restrictions. I hate all these laws. I don't understand them. They seem oppressive. I just want to be free. If that's your heart, you are not free. You are, in fact, enslaved to your own desires. And these desires, rather than getting you free, are only going to enslave you. And you are going to be ruled by them. But Jesus came to liberate you so that you would not be ruled by your desires, but that you would rule over them. And believer, remember, you are richly blessed. Richly blessed because the Lord is your sanctuary. The Lord is your strength. And the Lord is your supplier. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, this is such an important reminder for us. We can get so bogged down by the by what we don't have. We can get bogged down in the valleys of Baca and, we, and getting into these state of minds where we are in rough places. And Lord, if there are any here who are in those spots, if there are any who are doubting the rich blessing that you have bestowed upon them through Jesus Christ, would you use this to remind them? Tell them to remember that they are indeed your child. And they have been given inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept for them in heaven. And they don't have to, like the psalmist here, to, to, to wait to come to wait until they're unclean, that they can come to you now. Lord, thank you for giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And as we go this week into our workplaces, may we do it with our head lifted high because you have bestowed on us through Christ riches and glory that this world could never begin to fathom. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.